Hello and welcome to uh, this episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. This is our first episode of season two, and today we have something uh, extra special for you. Uh, joining me uh, for uh, a special interview is uh, comedian, writer, and co-creator of the show that this podcast is about. Uh, please welcome Mike Reese. Mike, how's it going? It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for doing this. And whoever's listening, uh, thank you. This is really <laughs> flattering. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't have imagined when I started this podcast that, um, that I'd have, you know, one of the creators on this show. So thank you so much for being here. You're probably just not trying that hard because you, <laughs> you could get all of us. You could, Okay. You, well, you found me through Twitter, right? Is that how we hooked up? Uh, yes, because I noticed you follow the podcast on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure you can get Al Gene. I shouldn't speak for him, but <laughs> every everyone's pretty accessible. And uh, uh, I, if you ever get Al on the show, I'd love to hear what he has to say about the critic. So okay. Uh, do, do you and Al uh, still keep in touch? Oh yeah, I, he's my boss now. He was my writing partner for. 16 years and you know he's my best friend I, mm -hmm. I, and uh then uh i sort of wanted to go do other things and he went right back to the simpsons after we'd been away for a while so he's been running the simpsons for 22 years and i come in a day a week and just help out mm -hmm. and so yeah he's my boss but he's still my friend and i, I get the feeling that's why he keeps me around uh, wow. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, talk about the Simpsons actually, since I know you were, you and Al Jean were part of the original writing staff, uh, back when it started. So I guess when the Simpsons kind of came out, it was, you know, it was a, a family sitcom, but it was animated. Like there hadn't really been like an animated family sitcom, at least in, in primetime before. I don't know if you want to count like the Flintstones or something like that, but even if you count the Flintstones, I mean, it had been 30 years since anyone had done that. So when we were starting the Simpsons, there was no one around to tell us how to even run it, how to technically make the show because everyone who made the Flintstones was dead. So, right. <laughs> so we had to reinvent all that stuff. That was, uh, it, I mean, that was more the animators problem, but it was, it was a real struggle. Yeah. And, and if I could actually back up a little bit, cause I know you came to the Simpsons from, uh, the Harvard Lampoon. So like, was, was TV writing like an aspiration of yours? Was that something you wanted to get, get into? No, things, you know, I graduated college in 1981 and things have changed remarkably since then. And, and partly I got to say, you know, you can put the blame on Al Jean and me because uh, for the first hundred years of the Harvard Lampoon, there were maybe three or four people who were on the magazine who went on to work in TV or movies. It was just, it was a college organization and it was a fun thing. And you'd write for the humor magazine in college, and then you'd go off and become a funny lawyer or a funny mm -hmm. banker. <laughs> and uh, as I say, there, 
Uh, it all changed in 1974. One of the Lampoon members got a job at Saturday Night Live. And literally, I mean, we couldn't believe it. We couldn't, we, nobody had ever even met anyone who wrote professionally. And he, he brought in a couple of his friends. And then Al and I kind of forged our own path. And we got in first, we were uh, working at a magazine and our friends, Max and Tom, who uh, Max Prost and Tom Gamble, who were working at SNL and uh, then some other shows, they they got the offer to work on The Simpsons the first season. And I don't know, they took something else. They took another job and they said, hey, do you want to do this? And Al and I said, sure, it's something. It's a summer job. And we didn't expect anything to come of it. And it, just to put yourself in the mindset of this, this is like 1988. And as you were saying, Nobody had done this, done an animated family sitcom. So I thought it was going to be a disaster. I thought it was just going to be, you know, this this humiliation. And I had hit rock bottom writing for a cartoon. And so I worked all that summer on the first season of The Simpsons. And I did not tell anyone what I was doing because I just thought this sounds this sounds so bad. Wow. And then 30 well, years later. I, I like to think, yeah, I'm still there. I still haven't told anyone. But uh, sometimes I think that's the secret of The Simpsons is we were just having fun that summer. I think nobody thought it was going to succeed at all. And uh, so he said, let's just make a crazy kind of show, something. Let's make something we've never seen on TV before. And uh, that was it, because it was, it was a really joyful job. It was the best summer job I ever had. And, you know, we were all friends. And it was something I, we did on that show I've never done on any other show, which is we'd work all day, and then we just hang together, the whole set. All right, let's go see Terminator 2. Let's go see Michael <laughs> Keaton and Batman. We would just keep the day going, and, you know, it would just go right into our social life. You know, that that reminds me of something that a uh, comedy friend of mine talked about that just about like, yeah, just how important it is to have like interests and, and hobbies outside of, of comedy. Because like this is a buddy that I like took sketch classes with and performed with. And like a lot of the people in the comedy community, you know, it tends to be very insular, like people, they just go to each other's shows, they write for each other's shows. So it's almost like the only thing they're doing all day, every day is comedy. And he talked about, you know, you gotta like, you gotta have other things that you can talk about or else what are you going to have jokes about? You know? So, um, so yeah, that does sound very important. It is. It was, it was just nice. I mean, you know, our interests weren't that broad. We were just going from writing TV to seeing movies and, I think sooner or later we'll get to the critic. And I think the critic is born of the fact that Al, Gene, and I just love movies so much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's let's get into the critic. That is, after all, uh, kind of why we're here on this show. Um, so, yeah. So the critic, you kind of you and Al created that together in like 94. And you you kind of did you leave The Simpsons in order to make the critic or just kind of what happened there? This, can I give you, I mean, 
I'm going to tell you the long story. Can I tell you that? Absolutely. I, I, you know, I wouldn't tell it anywhere else, but I mean, people who are listening to a podcast about the critic, I'll give you the inside whole evolution of the critic. I mean, it's, it's like a six, seven minute story, but I'm, I'm dying to hear it. That's it. If you're not interested, no one's going to be. And this is, so Al and I, we've been, running the simpsons for two years seasons three and four and it nearly it nearly killed me there was just massive burnout and again it was a happy place but the hours were so long and the work was so intense that everybody quit when they could quit and al and i were going on to do other things and one of the things we were going to do was Matt Groening came to us and said, would you develop an animated Krusty the Clown spinoff? Hmm. And we go, well, sure. That sounds like a great, it still sounds like a great idea. And Al and I, we just sit down to kind of figure out what the Krusty the Clown show would be. And we said, oh, let's have Krusty be a single father. And he's living in New York. And his boss is like a Ted Turner type cable magnate from the South. And he's got, we're going to use Doris Brow, who works at the Simpsons and make her a sassy makeup lady. So I know this all sounds familiar. And we go and we pitch this to Matt Groening and Matt goes, oh, I've changed my mind. He goes, now I want to do the Krusty the Clown show as a live action reality show. And his idea was to take Dan Castellaneta, dress him like Krusty the Clown and have him go work on a tuna boat and then have him deliver a baby and then, you know, do a bunch of reality show stuff. And so, so that's two shows, two Krusty the Clown shows that never got made. So about a year later, I think Jim Brooks, James L. Brooks came to us. He said, I want to do a show about the Today Show. I want to do a show about the, a, a young, like a 25-year-old makeup girl on the Today Show and you know, what's going on. It was sort of like Mary Tyler Moore, I think. And he, t- he wants me and Al to develop this. And I'll say, I didn't like the idea at all, but we sit down and we're trying, we said, well, how would we make this work? We go, well, there could be a funny weatherman, maybe a fat guy who's gotten gas creek bypass. And, oh, where it could be a film critic like uh, Gene Shalit on it. And we got very excited about the film critic on the Today Show. And that was the part of the idea we loved. And I've got to stress this. It was going to be a live action show. And so we go into Jim Brooks. We said, well, here's what we want to do. We want to do the show about the film critic on the Today Show. And Jim says to us, he says, have you ever seen John Lovitz? Now, John John Lovitz (laughs) has been on The Simpsons like five times. Mm -hmm. But Jim had just seen a screening of A League of Their Own, which if, if you remember this movie about women's baseball, John Lovitz is in it and he just steals the movie. He's just so funny. So he goes, what if John Lovitz plays the critic on your show? And we go, we love it. We love it. Now, at this point, Al and I do the dumbest thing, you know, professional writers could do, which is we go, we go out. We write the whole pilot script, live action show. John Lovitz is a film critic. And then we called John Lovitz in for a meeting. We said, here, this is what you're going to do. And he goes, no, I'm not. (laughs) We said, we we wrote this for you. He goes, I'm a movie star now. I've got three (laughs) movies lined up. 
I'm not going to do TV. And so he's he and he was nice about it. But, uh, you know, he he was he thought he was on the verge of being this big movie star. And he's walking out of the meeting. And as he's walking out, I go, what if it's animated? And it was sort of this was just a last minute, you know, Hail Mary to get love is to do it. We go, it's, it's just be two hours out of your week. You can make all your hit movies and still uh, do this TV show. And he goes, okay. And uh, so that's how the critic became an animated show. And uh, wow. So that, and I, I've got to say, and so if you look at the evolution of it, it's insane because it was going to be an yeah. animated Krusty the Clown show. Then it was going to be a live action today show. And then it, finally became an animated film critic show. Yeah, and it kind of started with Matt Groening and and Jim Brooks uh kind of fed into the idea. That's that's <laughs> really interesting knowing that. So then I I'm just wondering why did it go to ABC first when it sounds like it had this, you know, Fox pedigree and it didn't get there until the second season. Yes. Well, so James L. Brooks off the strength, not only, you know, his amazing career in movies and his TV work, Mary Tyler Moore and Taxi, and then to have literally this sort of game-changing show on TV. It was all, you know, back in whatever this was, you said, 94. Animation, uh, The Simpsons was just this seismic shift and all people were talking about. So ABC gave him a deal. This is so funny, in fact. ABC gave Jim Brooks a deal. They said, we're going to do give you three TV series, 22 episodes each. Anything you come in, we'll make 22 episodes of it. We won't say no. <laughs> so we, so as Jim Brooks and Al and I go in to ABC and go, well, here's what one of the shows is. We want to do an animated show with John Lovitz. John Lovitz is a film critic. And ABC said, no. <laughs> and, uh, and, now, and that was it. They just, they didn't go for the idea. And, you know, it was animated, which I don't know why they were shocked. I mean, you know, they had hired him for Simpsons, but they didn't really want to do animation. They wanted, hmm. they wanted to do a live action sitcom with him. So they didn't like the idea. They didn't like that it was animated. And so we struck a deal with them. And animation is very, very expensive, too. Right. So. It's kind of funny that uh, he didn't want to do it because he saw himself as a movie star. Whereas, yeah. like, nowadays, like, you know, TV is almost, you know, preferable to movies in some in in some instances. Everything about the critic is just sort of like... 20 years too early. I mean, it was just sort of, you know, uh, we, we had a very spotty record on, on TV, as I'm sure we'll discuss. But, you know, now it, it just looks like a Netflix show. It looks like something, oh, you can just, you know, it looks like Rick and Morty. It's just crazy and has this very tiny but dedicated audience. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make a lot of them, but, but that was it. So ABC agreed to do it. And then... I have no knock on ABC. They they were really good people to us. They were supportive. They let us do whatever we want. And so we made the critic form. We made 13 episodes and the and they gave us sort of their primo time slot. We were on before Home Improvement 
which was the number one show on TV. <laughs> so the critic comes on TV, our first episode, we got great reviews and, and comes on and gets huge ratings the first week. And we're there, oh, we're great. Oh, everybody loves the critic. And then the second, and then, oh, this is the funny story. So it airs, I think, a Wednesday night and then Friday morning. So two days later, my secretary walks in with a giant box and I go, hey, what's in the box? And she goes, hate mail. And we're just, <laughs> she, she had boxes of hate mail from people who hated the critics so much. And so we do our second week. We come on the air and. The viewership was down, I think, 45%. Wow. And uh, that was it. And so we, by the sixth week of the show, ABC said, look, nobody's watching you anymore. We, you know, we, we made 13. They couldn't even show all 13. They showed six of them. And again, I can't blame them. It's called, it's, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's called broadcasting. You're supposed to have a broad audience. I remember sitting in Bob, this is so funny. We were in Bob Iger's office. Bob Iger was the president of ABC. 30 years later, Bob Iger is the president of Disney. So I'm working for him again, but we're, <laughs> we're in the, the president of ABC's office and he's got those charts you always see on TV of the whole network schedule, mm. all their TV shows. And he just points to it. He goes, where does the critic fit in? Where would huh. you put it on this chart? And I'm looking at the chart and I said, I would put it after the Simpsons on Fox. Yeah. <laughs> because that's it. It just didn't. There was no ABC was a big, sweet family network, TGIF saccharine shows it, it didn't fit there was literally nowhere to put a show like that on abc so yeah. uh we got canceled on abc they were very gracious about it and then we went to we went to fox we went to the place it should have been in the first place on fox after the simpsons and that was a slot they could not fill i think for it's it been five years they tried eight different shows after The Simpsons, they all failed. And uh, so then finally they put the critic on. Do you want more of the story? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, um, I was just going to say uh, when you were talking about like how it, it didn't really fit in at ABC. Yeah, it's just kind of yeah hard to imagine that the, the same people that loved Home Improvement wouldn't love a show about a, a New York film critic. Yeah, there's a real dumb thing Al and I did, which was... Uh, or I'll, I'll take the blame, I think, and, you know, <laughs> which was we were the first Simpsons guys who were going off to create their own animated show. So my thought was, well, we got to show we're independent. We got to do everything different than The Simpsons. So instead of suburban, it'll be urban. Instead of middle class, it'll be upper middle class. Instead of Homer being too stupid, you got the critic who's too smart you know, divorce, all that stuff. You know, you can see point by point, it's just different than The Simpsons. And it was different also in that The Simpsons was a hit and everyone loved it. And the critic was a flop and the public hated it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do definitely want to get into, you know, when the critic was on Fox and you had the the Simpsons crossover episode and all that. But sure. but you're, you're, yeah, you were talking about kind of the, the concept of the show. So I did want to talk about like, um, if you could talk about the process of like creating Jay, like both as a character and also kind of his look, because I, I think I heard somewhere that he's 
visually, he's supposed to be like a combination of Siskel and Ebert. Oh, that's crazy. I've never <laughs> heard that. It's just not really? true. It's, okay. uh, the way we designed the show, and I've got, this is a funny thing I have to tell you, which was of all the people who were listening to this podcast and you and me, I think I am the least big fan of the critic. I'm not a, I'm not a total fan of the show. I think it fails in a lot of ways. I think it's, it's a funny show. I'm proud. It's very smart, but I don't really love the characters. It, it just breaks my heart that it doesn't have the emotional resonance of the Simpsons. It doesn't have the great plotting of the Simpsons. Uh, but especially, you know, it doesn't have a Matt Groening. It doesn't have that great look where you look at those characters and go, you know, oh, these look like old friends. This is something I've never seen before. And yet it looks instantly familiar to me, the way Matt Groening characters do or the way South Park characters do. And there's a reason for it. It was literally designed by committee. Mm. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. It never gets told, which was Jim Brooks said, we'll have a contest. We'll have a competition for people to come in and design the, the critic and design the whole world of the critic. And so Brad Bird drew up lots of different character designs. And I think uh, David Silverman, who's the chief animator at The Simpsons, did it. Rich Moore, a guy named Everett Peck, who did uh, Duckman. Many, many people entered this competition for no money. And instead of just picking one artist and one vision, said, Jim Brooks said, we'll use this guy from this one and this guy from this character. And and let's uh, let's adjust the look of this character. And so it was pulled from at least three or four different artists to make the characters on the critic. And then on top of that, there was all of us, us writing producers, meddling in the visual look of the show. And that's it. It sort of looks that way. I mean, God bless. There were very talented guys who tried to, had to unify it all. And again, it was Rich Moore and uh, a guy named David Cutler, who's uh, so very talented, who designed an awful lot of, the uh, subsidiary characters on the critic. Uh, David Cutler is very famous. He created many, many of the characters in the Nightmare Before Christmas. So, oh wow, very underrated guy. I loved working with him. I haven't seen him since the critic. I hope he's doing well. And I, I do kind of notice between season one and season two, there is a bit of a more cartoony look. Like uh, in season two, Jay definitely has like those bigger, bulgy kind of cartoony eyes, or a lot of the characters do. Um, and I think it does kind of get a more warm, friendly appearance. And of course, you introduce Alice, who I think is a great character and does kind oh, of okay. contribute more to that kind of ensemble sort of feeling. But but yeah, I can see what you mean about it, it doesn't quite have, you know, that same kind of familiarity that like the Simpsons would. Um, uh, like, because for me, like before I started this podcast and everything, like I always remembered the critic more for like like the individual jokes rather than like right. the characters or the plot lines, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a funny show in that, as I say, I'm, I was never, you know, I, was, I loved making it. We had so much fun making that show. 
I think I'm friends. I think I stayed friends with everybody involved, certainly. And I'm, you know, I'm friendly with the cast. I still talk to all those guys. They became friends. So it was a warm, kind of happy place to work. But the show, that was it. I just, I felt like, oh, I had this big opportunity, especially ABC gave me complete creative freedom. And I made a show that the public hated. I mean, that <laughs> the public at large hated it as much as the public at large loved The Simpsons. And I felt bad about that. So <laughs> if I can tell you one more funny anecdote, this is, uh, I wrote a book, I think three years ago called Springfield Confidential. It's a uh, insider's look at my 30 years writing The Simpsons. And it wasn't supposed to be that at all. I had gone to the publisher to, to pitch them a travel book. It was a hmm. book about a comedy writer traveling America. And and they just kept saying, eh, let's make it more about The Simpsons. And could there be more Simpsons in it? And I go, all right. You know, I didn't <laughs> want to do that. And then the guy, the the editor said, how's this? It doesn't have to all be The Simpsons. It could be about the critic, too. And I said, well, you know, I'm not really a fan of the critic. <laughs> and the guy lit up. He goes, I've never seen that before. I've never met a guy who created a show and wasn't totally in love with it. <laughs> and that's what sold the book. That's what huh. got me the deal was the idea that, you know, I was ambivalent about the show I had created. So then when I sit down to write the book, I said, well, let me give the critic another look. And I start watching it and I go, oh, this is pretty good. I don't know why it was so hard on it. You know, that is very Jay Sherman, that even his creator would hate him. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Wow, what a great line. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so um, let's talk about the the Simpsons crossover episode. So, okay. So after Critic, um, I guess, was booted from ABC, got brought to Fox and I guess was it your yours and Al Jean's idea to kind of promote it with a, a Simpsons crossover? No, it was it was again it was James L. Brooks who had done this so many times. I mean, it's a it, it's may seem a little radical, but it used to be something TV did all the time. And it was certainly Jim Brooks uh, he created the Mary Tyler Moore show, and then he did a spinoff of one character, Rhoda. So he had Mary Tyler Moore go on the Rhoda show, and then he spun off Phyllis from the show and had Rhoda and Mary Tyler Moore go on that show. And then there were shows like The Love Boat and Fantasy Island that would do crossover shows all the time. And then there was this world of shows when we were kids, all from the same producer, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction, you know, country <laughs> corn, they call them, you know, <laughs> yeah. country flavored show. And they, they would always have crossovers. And as a kid, I loved it. And I'm sure as adults loved it too. It was like, oh, wow, they all live in the same world. They all know <laughs> each other. So Jim Brooks said, all right, The Simpson, uh, the critic is coming on TV after The Simpsons. Let's do a crossover. And I, I I, I think he probably had the whole idea. Jim Brooks is just full of great ideas. Let's have a film festival in Springfield and the critic will come in and be a judge of that. And it'll be a great setup to the critic coming on right after The Simpsons. So we're working out that episode and we go to the current Simpsons writing staff and say, hey, we're going to do this episode. And those guys said, no, you're not. <laughs> 
the writer said, you're not going to do this. And they, there was a lot of objection and I'll, I'll, I won't say the names, but I'll point the fingers at the people who had the biggest objections were people who had just been hired there. They're not the people who built the show. They should have been around for five years. And there was some guy who'd been there six months saying, no, this, this is not what The Simpsons is about. So it was a combination of young guys who should have kept their fucking mouth shut. And then a lot of people I had hired, a lot of friends that I had hired were also putting up this thing. And yeah, I'm still bitter. <laughs> so anyway, they, so they're putting up an objection and we go to James L. Brooks and said, Jim, uh, the writers at The Simpsons are objecting to The Simpsons credit crossover. And Jim, Jim goes, he said, when did this become a democracy? <laughs> And so we made the episode, and we made the episode with the critic writers. The critic writers, we wrote it and produced and made this episode of The Simpsons. Now, The Simpsons writers had contracts that anything that was called an episode of The Simpsons, they would get their names on it, and they would get paid for it. And we said, look, we're making this show, and you didn't want to be a part of it. Do you want your name on it? And they all go, oh, yes. And I assume you want to get paid for it? Oh, yes. So... All these guys got their credit on that. If you watch that episode again, you'll see the credits go on and on and on because it's the entire writing staff of The Simpsons and the entire writing staff of The Critic. And uh, so that was it. And it, the one thing I'll say to the credit of those Simpsons guys who were fighting the show was they made Al and me and Jim Brooks go, well, we better make this a really good episode. and. We we worked really really hard on that show, not just uh, not just to make it funny and good, but to make it feel like a Simpsons episode. And uh, and then it came out, and it's we just said uh, Alan. I saw he just emailed me because uh, that crossover show made some list of top ten Simpsons episodes. Oh wow! <laughs> and we go wow, top ten for a show nobody. <laughs> wanted to do <laughs> i mean that is a great episode it's definitely given us some like famous simpsons lines and jokes that like still get referenced by fans um, oh yeah football in the groin right <laughs> yeah. and i was saying boo earns there's a lot of them yep. came yep. out of it <laughs> cool so i guess ultimately maybe the writers who didn't want to do it uh i don't know maybe <laughs> they had the right idea because the critic did not last past that second season, unfortunately. But I think the the shadow of the critic looms large. Like someone on or the the person I was uh, interviewing for a previous episode noted how the critic was probably a big influence on like Family Guy for all of its like rapid fire cutaways and all that stuff. Like, do you see that kind of influence in in, in other shows? Yes, I think you know. Uh, obviously we were taking the Simpsons pacing and if anyone watches uh, the episodes Al and I did for the Simpsons, especially season four, it was veering into that territory that became the critic that became family guy. In other words, there was a lot more cutaways and that kind of, and a faster pace in season four things you would see on the, on the subsequent shows. But I'm pretty sure I think 
David Grossman, is that his name? The guy who developed Family Guy with Seth MacFarlane has just flat out credited the critic for sort of oh. pioneering that style. So Got it. Wow. You know, I mean, it just, it's, it's like, well, yes, they took everything from the critic except its lack of popularity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I I had heard that uh, like were there more like scripts written for a possible third season? There was an entire third season written. There was an entire we have thirteen scripts. I know Al Jean has them somewhere in his garage. We had a whole great season written, and we didn't get to do it. And there there's two things that go. I want to tell the Fox story. I'm going to tell oh, this. Yeah. Please. You know, you're not, which was Fox bought the show. Uh, I forget the woman's name. There was a woman who was president of Fox. She bought the critic to go on after the Simpsons. And we came on the air. We got great reviews again and huge ratings. The best ratings any show ever had after the Simpsons. But in between, because it took about eight months or a year to make the second season of the critic, this woman who was president of Fox got fired and replaced with a new guy who just hated the critic. He hated the show. Now, it's a it's common thing anyhow in TV that when a new president comes into the network, uh, they just scrap everything their predecessor did. I mean, you know, they just want to start fresh and get all the credit for all the success. But this guy just hated the critic and i gotta say i'll say his name it's, it's john matoyan he was an asshole i wish him <laughs> only the worst in this life and because he he not only hated the show he was really mean to us about it so since the critic comes on that first week gets huge ratings and instead of saying hey we got a hit hey this is great for the network he calls up and says well let's see how you do next week with no publicity is like what is i'm not doing any ads for the show next week and it's like why why don't you run ads for your new hit show and that was it he didn't do any ads for the show and and it still did well i mean this is the thing the show was doing okay despite his lack of support and he would call every week well i hated this week's episode it's like well thanks john Nice to talk to you. That's kind of cutting off your nose despite your face, isn't it? Because it's yes, his network yes. that he's his network. He had it, and this is a man, and he 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 finally canceled the critic, which was again doing very well. Canceled the critic, replaced it with a show called House of Buggin', and uh, <laughs> which you I don't know, you know, there's no podcasts about House of Buggin'. <laughs> and, uh, I think was that the. John Leguizamo sketch show? It was, you know, which I got to say, I mean, it's too bad you, you outed me on that because John oh. Leguizamo, obviously a real talent. Um, and, uh, but House of Buggin', nobody went for that either. And then he, he replaced that with a show called New York Days, D-A-Z-E. And so this, this John Matoyan, he was at Fox very short, a very short time created nothing good, put nothing good on the air. And so I, I have this image that he was just some, and then you never heard of him again. He got fired from Fox, which he should have been. Uh, I think he worked briefly for Showtime and then nothing. Nobody's heard from him in 30 years. And 
So I had this image. He was just some demon sent up from hell to cancel the critic and then go right back to hell. You know, <laughs> his job was done. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. Isn't that a, t- a terrible bitchy story? So anyway, he canceled. <laughs> we're canceled on two networks in two years. And then a third network is starting up. The UPN, the Paramount Network, is starting up. And we go in for a meeting with them. And they go, well, yeah, we'll put on the critic. But we wanted to not have the critic in it. We want it to be about Marty, the little boy on the show and it's going to be a kid show and again i think al gene i think even jim brooks were sort of on board and i said i said no i mean if you want to find the villain who finally killed the critic it was me i just said i am not doing a kid show for upn called the critic with no critic on it and uh that's where i want and that was it so but we did you know, when we thought we were going to be on Fox, we had 13 really nice episodes. I, we did, I'll even tell you, for, for super fans, there was one where Jay buys a theater and he, he builds the kind of theater he always wanted to see movies in, you know, with big cup holders and wine <laughs> seats. It was just going to show classic films and i think it's a big flop uh we did the movie quiz show if you any if you remember the movie quiz yeah. show where i think marty the critic's son is on a uh a rigged quiz show on duke phillips's network that was a good one he kind of becomes the herb stemple of of that episode exactly <laughs> or he becomes the whatever ray fines was that charles oh, okay. andorin he's being fed the answers but he feels guilty and there was one there was one, uh, like, the movie Single White Female, which nobody really okay. remembers, but it's, I think it's, it's Jay hires an assistant who becomes more and more like Jay and takes on his personality. So we, we, we had 13 of them. They were good shows. And uh, I'm always hearing, not just from fans of the show, but from people who work there, like uh, Maurice LaMarche, that let's do it. Let's make those shows. He wants to do... You know, he would have played the single white female and do, done his John Lovitz impression. So uh, he's all gung-ho for that. Oh, man. Well, if that ever happens, I'll be first in line and I'll do podcast <laughs> episodes about him. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Wow. You've got a third season yeah. of your podcast. That would be the most obscure podcast. Three <laughs> yeah. unproduced critic episodes. And then you could do season three alternate reality UPN episodes, the episodes where it's just a kid show. <laughs> oh, wow. But uh, speaking of podcasts, you actually started your own podcast recently. Yes, I did. Yeah, tell us about that. Yes, the world needed more podcasts. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, on top of The Simpsons and The Critic and a lot of other stuff I do, I travel a lot. And Lately, you know, for 20 years, I just work one day a week at The Simpsons. I go in every Wednesday. And what I found is you can do a lot in your six days off. And so <laughs> I I would, you know, everyone else, I'd come in Wednesday. Hey, what did you guys do this week? Oh, I watched second season of Fargo. What did you do? And I would say, oh, I went to North Korea. Or I went to, <laughs> I toured Australia. I, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. So I've, I've been to 134 countries. And 
when you've been to that many countries, it means you've gone to countries nobody wants to go to. So I've been to Iraq and Libya. I've been to North Korea and the North Pole. And I would come in and tell these kind of funny stories every week at work about, you know, my six days in North Korea. And finally, one of the writers at The Simpsons said, this should be a podcast. It should just be a podcast of you telling these stories. He said, if you do that, I know everybody in podcasting and I'll, I'll, I'll get you a great deal. So I go out and I, I write these episodes and I perform them. I spend five grand on microphones and headphones and I hire a producer. And so I'd make three sample episodes of the podcast and I go to the Simpsons writer. I said, all right, I made the shows. Who do you know in podcasting? He goes, I don't know anybody in podcasting. <laughs> so that was it. So I, I managed this, to sell it to a network, the Believe, Believe Network of podcasts. And it's called, What Am I Doing Here? I should have gotten that out for yep. <laughs> It's called, What Am I Doing Here? And uh, they are scripted episodes. It's not me extemporizing and it's not interviews. It's, it's just me telling these stories. And I have lots of guest actors coming in to be the other people in the stories. They're all true, crazy stories of travel. And they're only the funny stories. I like to think the show <laughs> is a lot like The Simpsons and that it'll be funny and it'll be smart and uh, it'll be full of weird facts you didn't know. And you never know what you're going to get from week to week. So some weeks it is, it's just, here's my trip to Costa Rica and I had a terrible time but uh, we have one episode just about the different toilets of the world there's sometimes there's an episode coming up where it's about two about a trip where did I go it was a trip to Finland and a trip to Bolivia which have nothing in common except in both cases they have tunnels that go to the center of the earth and I went huh, not to the center but I went a mile down in a tunnel in Bolivia and Finland. So it's it's whatever, from my experience, makes a funny, good story with a lot of very talented voice actors helping me out on that. And that's it. It's called What Am I Doing Here? Come on, everybody. You're listening to this. You can listen to that. <laughs> no, yeah, I actually did listen to the uh, the Costa Rica episode and, and the trailer Um uh, and yeah, it, it, I thought it was great. The, the, uh, you get, like you mentioned, the other voices coming in to sort of, you know, illustrate the stories and everything. I thought it was a, a hilarious time. Um, oh, and I, I, <laughs> and I just have to ask, which was scarier, uh, being kidnapped in Honduras or starting a podcast? <laughs> the podcast, I just feel silly. I feel, I mean, there are literally, <laughs> There are, I couldn't believe that there are literally a million podcasts in the world. There's probably two million. So, I mean, nobody is excited by me doing a podcast. This is like me saying, <laughs> I'm thinking of using email, you know? It's like, <laughs> all right. It's been fun. It's been a fun, creative process. And it's autobiography, which I've never done before. I mean, again, it's got to be funny and it's, it's, it's not a ton about me, but this is my personal life getting out there. And uh, part of, I think, what makes the podcast interesting is not that I've been 
to 130 countries. It's the fact that I don't want to go to any of them. I hate <laughs> travel. And it's just, I've got a wife who loves to travel and I love my wife. And so I, I have a wife I love so much. I'll go to Iraq on my one week off. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a great podcast. Uh, what am I doing here? Everyone? I definitely recommend it. Go subscribe, go check it out. Great. Plug. All right. And yeah, so Mike, I, I think that, that's kind of all the questions I have for you, but you know, thank you so much again for, for the interview. This has been amazing. Well, thank you. It's, 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 again, it's very flattering. There, it was 23 episodes made 25 years ago. And I look at them and I go, well, it's a parody of the Patriot. What the hell was that? <laughs> and yet somehow everybody keeps watching them and enjoying these shows. So that's great. And I just I thank everybody for being so kind and on behalf of everyone who worked at that show. And, and again, it was more than any show. People really had fun. We had fun in the writer's room, but the, the, the recording sessions were just like a party. They would just get out of control because everyone was having such a great time. So I like to think some of that comes across, that it was just a lot of people having a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. We will see you uh, next week for the next episode. <laughs> Try following me, folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Uh, Mike, do you want to plug your, your Twitter or, or any social media or anything like that? Yes. If, uh, if you haven't gotten enough of me at all already, uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Mike Reese Writer. And uh, Reese's R-E-I-S-S. It's Mike Reese writer. And, you know, one day a week I plug the podcast and the other six days I just give you a joke a day. I just here's a free joke. I say, <laughs> I, I always say I give you one good joke a day, just like the Jimmy Fallon show. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I, I'm not a Jimmy Fallon fan either. And in fact, I um my friends all know that I'm a, a Jimmy Fallon uh, hater. So there, it was kind of funny. The night we all went to see Jurassic World, uh, we were t talking about like, well, do you think Jimmy Fallon or Jay Leno is better? And I thought, well, I don't like either of them, but I'm, <laughs> I would prefer Jay Leno if given that choice. And then we watched Jurassic World. And I don't know if you've seen it, but Jimmy Fallon has a cameo as himself in that movie. Wow. So, no, I, I mean, I've seen the movie. I think I saw it twice, but somehow I forgot Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is really just like a he has a very brief cameo as himself in like a commercial or something. OK. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of funny that we were talking about Jimmy Fallon and then we see that movie and I just kind of like cringe in the theater. I just kind of <laughs> sink into my seat. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> all right but uh mike thank you again uh this has been awesome great what a pleasure talking to you thanks all right <laughs> have a good night all right you too thank you for listening to this episode of it stinks the critic podcast i'm your host brian rubinell our theme song is by brandon beck you can email the podcast at it stinks pod at gmail.com and find us on twitter and instagram at it stinks pod 